Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Good to be here with you, my man, Jimmy. We are moving the rock every day. And dude, there are times I want to show up to our recording and you go, Chris, man, we just keep staying consistent. Let's take this week off. <laughs> not once, not once have you done that. There are times I'm like, man, I want to take a nap. And he, he, he never does because I know wow. how you think and you don't want that to become a habit. Um. And uh, that's pretty inspiring, man. So yeah. I'm ready to gut this out. No, yeah, I'm here out of joy. I'm here out of joy. <laughs> now, I have the same conversation with myself um, every morning when I come to my leg exercises. Uh, <laughs> Dude, yeah, I, that's uh, for sure. Yeah, I talk myself into pushing it out. Just a couple more minutes, a couple more minutes of pain, exhaustion, you know, uh, too easy to say no. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm not going to be embarrassed of this love fest. We're, we're going to get there, folks. Just a second. There are times I'm doing the, the leg exercises. My stomach's a little upset. You know, the uh, lactic acid, all that stuff that's happening. And I'm like, Jimmy wouldn't quit. Dang it. So uh, so you're inspiring me, man. You're inspiring right. us. And for those that have been here for a number of our episodes, they know uh, we're we're seeking to make an impact intentionally. We don't want to we don't want to float our way through this, but actively move. And we make big promises because of what we love doing, helping yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. And we're always learning because we're all, we're just human, man. I mean, you know, right on. that's the name of the game. Uh, well, I love uh, the topic that we landed on for today. Uh, how would you, how would you set the stage? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the nature of life that, as much as you want to say it's not going to happen, it happens continually, and that's change. Uh, the minute you think you've locked in on something, life has a way of shifting, and change is a constant. That's the only constant. Uh, it's weird we're talking about this today, though, because we've got world events that are kind of wild. And uh, I was thinking about how, you know, the military term, we live in a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And as true as that was two years ago, it's even more VUCA today than two years ago. And it's going to be more VUCA tomorrow. I mean, that's all the trend lines show that the people I'm connected to that are uh, in industries, very futurist, have lots of connections to many, many companies, you know, even more so, I think, than, than maybe me or you. It's like they're seeing the AI usage across the board get adopted. And, you know, we're going to be living in an increasing rate of change. And uh, if we pause for a minute and just consider this, because I heard this years ago and I love it. It's so helpful. Somebody born in 2000 BC had more in common with someone born in 1900 
than somebody born in 1900 would have in common with someone born in 1990. So you got three people, 2000 BC, 1900 AD, 1990 AD. And that 4,000-year gap has more in common than that 90-year gap. Mm. And that's only going to keep happening. So we better figure this out. Well, we were just talking about the the difference between our what our, our parents dealt with when they were mm-hmm. dealing with us and what we're dealing with when we're dealing with our kids. Um, just in that generation, it's not just, it's not, it no longer is it, you know, we have better books than Dr. Spock could write back in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, um, several orders of magnitude different. Yeah. Well said, well said. And I think the thing that we skip over all the time, and this is where we want to live today for this episode, is that in all of that change and difference, people are trying to do the best they can. Um, But for leaders, that's not enough. We have to find the way to get it done, to help take as many people on the journey with us as possible. And anybody that's led any number of change initiatives through their team or organization as leaders understands how complex it can get, how you can say something and and people hear something completely different, how much there's just so, it's so fraught with potential danger and loss. And this is why we see some lock in, ignore reality, force it through, uh, you know, and, and we just forget basic things like you've been thinking about that change in your mind for two years. You've talked about it 15 times in a meeting, and then you're bothered when people aren't fired up when they hear it the first time out of your mouth. When in reality, they need time. I mean, I, I've, I've been amazed at how many times uh, I've said, okay, that wasn't the response that I would love to have seen but I'm going to stay with it and pay, be patient and, and how they come around. They, they see it. They see what we're talking about, what we're doing. And so, you know, that's, that's the basic stuff though. What we want to get into today is the real transformative piece. When a leader becomes aware that they're talking about the change through how they relate to it, forgetting that the people they're talking to will relate to that change differently. Right. And, and I'll, I will um, set the stage as well, go a little bit deeper just to give the listener perspective here. What does this have to do with sales and selling? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about a topic related to change within a sales organization today, but I'm, I cannot resist the uh, temptation here, Chris, to talk just a little bit about our definition of when people buy, right? People buy when they're ready, willing, and able to change. So just, I would say that for our listeners, think about this topic in the context of sales and selling, right? Um, think about the relationship between moving your organization to change and how you train and develop and coach your people to move their buyers to change. If your salespeople showed up and said to a buyer, hey, I have a great idea. Boom, here it is expected them to sign within 30 days and then get pissed off when they don't get a response through email. It's like, well, wait a minute, right? Same issue. Did you really help that buyer understand 
And did you anticipate and lead them through all of the different barriers that they might imagine, all the stressors they might experience, all the risks they might be able to come up with that would convince them that uh, change, it's it's too difficult. I'm not, I don't want to do it. And every time I talk to this salesperson, all he or she wants me to do is change. Screw it. Delete email, delete email, delete email. And now we yeah. have we have an opportunity that ended in in a non no decision. So, you know, there is a parallel which I friggin love because it makes it makes the topic so easy. If I can get it in the context in one context, I can apply it in the other. Yeah, and this is making me think of uh, a conference I spoke for last year, and it was. I mean, this is a sophisticated organization, Fortune one hundred. Their sales leaders and, and sales staff. And the and this isn't an ageist comment. This is just awareness of the context. Uh, the average age was like mid sixties, uh, lower sixties, something like that. And they they told me like they prioritize relational selling, which was a coded word of saying resistance to technological <laughs> uh, buying, which was so much of like what what people do now. I mean, they want to buy through an app, buy through their computer or their phone and, and uh, helping, helping them just relate to it different. That it's, it's not that one's relational and one's transactional. You can still be relational if that's the value that you have. Uh, it's all how you relate to the change. So let's talk about it, man. Let's jump in to this idea of, of focusing on organizational change and how as leaders we can think about it. And, and I want to, Chris, let's, let's maybe kick off with some of the reasons why organizations change, right? Um, we've talked before about technology, right? A lot of sales organizations feel like, oh, the key to success is to get every one of my salespeople on CRM, uh, marching in the same direction, uh, using the same technology, following the same process. Won't it be amazing when we have that happen? Um, we even talk about uh, our core value proposition, which is helping our clients triple their year-over-year growth rate without hiring a salesperson. Well, how do you do that? We talk about um, removing the friction from their existing sales operating model, their existing sales growth engine. Um, if you can build better efficiency and effectiveness in the core operational structure of your sales organization, you can as much as triple your year-over-year growth rate without adding any new resources to the organization. It's profound, but it's not the first thing that most of us as leaders think about. We think about more fuel, add more fuel, more people, more training, more technology, more attentive accountability from management, more and more and more. And what ends up happening is when we do that, we run the risk, Chris, of um, just creating more efficient ways of failing. Mm. We just, we're adding more to an unhealthy core system and it's not working. But it begs the question, how the hell do I change that, that, that core system given that, you know, without, without changing the people who helped me create it? Yeah. I love it. I mean, this is, I'm 
continually geek out and obsess over the answer to this. And I know you do too. We, we share this common space. Uh, you've got to understand, appreciate value, whatever it is that they're hearing the change differently than you, not worse, not better. So when you're inviting them into a conversation of change or you're sharing an already decided upon change or anything in between, you know, you, you are appreciative and sensitive of the fact that they are going to experience this information differently than me. Uh, and so the way that we've separated that a number of times on this episode, I think it's so much at the core of our work and I love it. We're separating out the fixed part of who someone is and the flexible part of who they are. So the flexible part of who they are, this is the part that can change and grow and develop. The fixed part of who they are, it's how they relate to their work and their tasks and their functions. Uh, it's the genetics of their work. They can't help but do this. And just starting there, that they are going to hear change through both of these parts of who they are, the adaptive part of who they are, the part that can change like crazy, the part that can develop the mindset activate, become the best version of who they are. And then the fixed part, the part that is their natural bent and wiring, how they relate to their work. If we can appreciate that everybody has a flexible fixed part of who they are, then we can get really precise and accurate on how they're going to experience this conversation of an already decided on change or change they're invited into helping shape. Uh, and that's where the gold is. So let's, let's give an example. Um, I mean, the first thing I think about um, when we tell a sales organization, Hey, good news. We're going to normalize how we sell on a unified, uh, highly predictable and proven sales process. And we're going to tailor that process to the best practices that exist today inside your sales organization. And by implementing this, every one of you um, will find it to be, uh, uh, a benefit an improvement, a way of streamlining and helping you find your fastest path to cash, regardless of the opportunity you're working on. Aren't you excited? So the, <laughs> so I can make the promise sound really good. I can cover all the bases, but give an example of how, you know, what's going yeah. on between the ears of those people that, <laughs> on the team based yeah. on their fixed and flexible. And I, and I was thinking when you're talking, I was thinking of the word filter, right? That, mm. that fixed filter, that flexible filter. That's um, a great word. How are they filtering kind of my, my words and processing it as they're listening to me? Yeah, no filters, a great word. Just like when you're posting a picture on social media, you could swipe across the different filters. Once you learn what we're about to walk through, you can swipe across the filters and exactly expect how they're going to, receive it and hear it. Um, so with the, we'll just do flexible part of who they are first. We'll do fixed next on the flexible part of who they are. When you say we're going to go into a uniform system, uh, of course we know that there's nine specific ways people are going to hear it. One of those is awesome. I know the target now can't wait to excel it. Uh, another one is going to hear great. I'm just going to be one of many. How can I put my unique thumbprint on this? Um, so again, people aren't consciously aware that this is how they're processing. They're not consciously aware that this filters apply, but it's definitely there. And so, so one is going to be like, sweet. Now I know the target. I'm going to hit it. One's going to co-opt it a little bit and try to put their unique thumbprint on it. Uh, one's going to look for a way that 
does the process make them important, integral? Can they be depended on in this? Or are they going to be, you know, is this something now a computer can just do? And I don't really have a purpose to to play here. Uh, Again, this is why it's so powerful to understand this is happening. Uh, It's why you can say A, I'm saying A, and someone else says, I hear you saying B. And you're like, no, I'm saying A. They're like, I'm hearing you say B because their filter is different. Somebody else might have the filter that, uh, oh, this is overwhelming. Uh, I don't have all the information on this. Have they prepared enough training on this? Am I going to be able to be competent and capable for this task? Can I really do this at a very, very high level? Someone else can hear it and go, oh, okay, the last time that I had to go through a change like this, I ended up losing, you know, my performance fell off. Uh, maybe by 20% or worse, or I got fired. Is that going to happen again? I tend to screw up things when there's a change opportunity in front of me. So again, that's just a little bit of an illustration. We can go into more depth, but this is this flexible part of who they are. So what's happening in all their brains is not what's happening in your brain as the leader. And you have your own filter and you're going to try to persuade or influence or sell that change to your filter. So you're going to speak from your filter to that same filter. And then when that same filter that's in that group mirrors that back to you, oh man, I just love them. They really get it, right? Uh, I need to give them a raise. They need more responsibility. And maybe they don't need a raise. Maybe they don't need more responsibility. You've just got a Rio de Janeiro filter on yours and they do too. I'm using an Instagram filter. I've probably butchered the name. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really fascinating, really fascinating. Now, any thoughts or questions on that? And I'll hit the fixed part. Well, I think it's what's what's interesting to to, to keep in mind here is flexible means um, it can be changed. Flexible means I can recognize my insecurity, my identity fear, and how it's manifesting in my beliefs, and then how does it how it translates to my habits. And so, as a leader. If I have the opportunity to identify these, how my team members are filtering my words, I can work with them each to, to help them understand this and help align them with the direction I'm heading in. So it sounds like, Chris, the work of a leader, um, while it might become a little bit more, uh, more complicated than just walking in and being really charismatic and brilliant, if you do want to invest time in understanding your people, this gives you an opportunity to understand them and help move them more toward, more into alignment with the goals and objectives of the change management initiative. Dude, high freaking five. Yes. A wise leader wastes nothing and they will use the change opportunity not only to accomplish the change, but to surface the insecurities in the leaders they're leading and actively work with them to transform that mindset so they are not subconsciously self-sabotaging with that limiting belief anymore. And, and you said it, it is happening at the identity level of who they are. We call it identity fears. And that identity fear is shaping that filter, manifesting as that limiting belief. And a wise leader understands, not only am I trying to accomplish this change, I'm using this change to grow the people I lead even more, you know, 
at the beginning point of your journey, you're, you're concerned with your growth and development as a leader. But as you advance, it's not am I growing, are they growing? And change is a great opportunity to do that. And, and so that, that brings me to my next point, because you know, I, I can imagine the younger version of myself, maybe 20 years ago, listening to this and saying, yeah, that makes sense, but I don't have time for that shit. My people are coin-operated. My people are used to being under pressure. My people may have a hang-up. They may have an insecurity, but I can force them to ignore it and not have it affect their work by simply not paying attention to it and simply motivating them with traditional carrot stick, right? Tools. So uh, spiffs, compensation, and also negative, negative um, uh, accountability and negative um, imp- uh, impacts of either doing or not doing what I say. What's the, what's the downside of just taking that approach and just taking, just ignoring kind of everything that you and I are saying right now. Yeah. It would be like, uh, you know, 12 years ago, 14 years ago now, recovering from a seven figure win to a six figure loss. It's Christmas time. And you know what that's like family, young family. And, uh, there's a leak underneath the sink. And my wife is like, Hey, there's a leak. And I'm like, all right, we'll deal with it after Christmas. Uh, Christmas first got a little worse. And so I'm like, Oh, I got to deal with this. So I bought some silicone spray and sprayed it up where it was leaking underneath the faucet. Uh, and I did the quick fix. I did brought the energy. I brought the hype. I brought the, the forcing of a solution and you know where I'm headed. I walked down in the basement a few days later. Not only was that leak not happening underneath our sink, it was way bigger and it was running down the wall of the basement. So I took what was small and made it very big. And then in that limited income economic uh, moment, I had to call a plumber at the after hours, which was more expensive. And he (laughs) didn't have any of the budget uh, units on his truck because it was broken and had to be replaced. So I had to buy a designer unit that didn't even match the rest of the kitchen. And what should have been a $200 fix became like a $700 fix. And, and that's such a practical story because there are ways that you're trying to bring, let's say, a $200,000 fix uh, to a system you're changing with your sales team. And it's going to be a $700,000 loss, $2 million or $7 million. I mean, it just depends on the size of what you're dealing with, uh, all because you didn't get in there and do the right fix. Right, um, right. And, and change reveals that. Change reveals the insecurities that people feel. Right. Right. And, and I think the thing too to recognize is if you think that this is the only priority for change that your team is going to face, right? The only one you have to deal with, you're kidding yourself as well. Right. And again, <laughs> yeah. no judgment out there, but we all do it. Right. We're in the moment. It's like, screw it. I'm too busy. They'll get over it. But what about the next time and the next time and the next time? All those opportunities for change, right? We we have this saying that we live by uh, and that we believe wholeheartedly that growth is the mastery of change. The more I kick the can down the road, the more I, as a leader, ignore uh, the filters that are causing my team members to believe or not believe in the potential of this change 
initiative, the more I ignore those, the more I'm costing myself long-term and the harder it becomes long-term. Uh, and so the, the costs mount up and what ends up happening for companies that are scaling up or that consider themselves to be growth companies, the more opportunities you miss to optimize change, the more you lose and you can never recover those losses. You can never earn enough over, over the next few years to recover the loss or the wasted opportunities um, that ignoring these fundamentals end up costing you. I love that you emphasize that. Absolutely. You, you know, anybody that's led at an executive capacity for any number of time, you know, you've got to capture that waste and seize opportunities to both end reality and change management uh, done poorly. Uh, yeah. Not only results in uncaptured waste, it's just all kinds of missed opportunity because you then are dealing with so much of the psychological sideways energy. So uh, a healthy leader says, all right, I'm insecure. We, every leader has insecurities. They have insecurities. I'm not going to beat us up for those, but I'm going to use this change to shift those insecurities into insights that we can integrate into how we lead so that we all get better. And uh, that's the vision. To settle for anything less than that is to not be a truly transformational, servant-hearted leader. Uh, instead, you're, you're in it at some level for yourself. Um, and the quickest way to recognize where you're hitting these false ceilings, they don't have to be a real ceiling for you, is where you're tolerating or avoiding things. And change just becomes such a, such a challenging but can be refreshing uh, vision of, okay, I don't want to tolerate or avoid that anymore. Um, super, super fun. Yeah, especially if we're talking about, yeah, especially if we're talking about the stuff that we can influence. Exactly. Yeah. We These, can't control market. Yeah. Go ahead. We can, okay, but off. we, but we can influence, we can influence our people. We can yeah. develop our people. We can cultivate them uh, into a team that is fine tuned to be highly responsive to the changes that beset our organization. And that we have the opportunity to turn into growth. Yes. Yeah. We, we can't control what's happening in big macro economic factors, but we can make sure our players are ready. If it's snowing, if it's raining, we're going to be ready. Um, and that really, you know, it's just so motivational because you're not hyping them into un, uh, to some state. You're unblocking it within them. And that's, that's where true lasting motivation comes from. And healthy leaders know it's not my job to give them motivation. It's my job to position them to find their motivation. That's why I love the wins model. It, it helps them get into that. What is, what do I really want? Um, now, now and this is all just the flexible part because we have the fixed part too. And so when that sales leader comes in there and they're laying that out, they're excited about that change you also have the fixed filters that are at work and the fixed filters determine how they relate to that change uh, in, in the way that they're going to, you know, work at that change with you. And uh, you want insight and awareness on that too. Right. This, I love the fixed stuff. Um, you know, 
I think for a number of reasons. One is we 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 hear people all the time say, "Look, you can't change people. People don't change, right?" And I know I've changed, <laughs> I've evolved over time, but I also know there are parts of me I can't change. Um, and I really never had a way of kind of understanding this or processing it. Now I do. You know, there's a there's a level of behavior that is that is influenced by my insecurity. You know, my insecurity is this idea of not performing, right? So um, I, I will do almost anything, or at least when I was younger, I would do almost anything to not be seen as somebody who could not perform, um, which meant I was easily manipulated by my leaders and I would do anything, right? To I would crash through any wall. I would make any level of commitment required to get the job done. Um, and, and I've been able to change that behavior and I've been able to kind of live a healthier, more productive life because of it. But dude, there are things that I'm good at from a task perspective, job perspective, and there are things that I'm not. And this idea of understanding your zone of genius or understanding where, what roles you are best suited for is really a powerful thing because I could... Once I understand, once I understood what role I was ideally suited for, and that was part of my DNA, and I and I wasn't, not only was I not going to change it, but I don't have to worry now about judging myself for not being good at it, right? This old idea that you can't judge a fish for its ability to climb a tree, right? Um, I was judging myself for my ability to not be able to do things that really I wasn't tuned, fine-tuned to do. Uh, and instead of believing that, well, if I work hard enough at it, I'll become great at it. Forget about it. Understand it. Do your best at it. But invest your resources in the things that you are meant to do. Become amazing or world class at those, and then go and find other team members who can fill in the gaps around you, build a team, and conquer the world. So this idea of understanding that there are things that we are ideally suited to do. Uh, it, that we're more comfortable doing, um, that we're more capable to do, is really uh, freeing and eye-opening. It's not limiting at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. It's uh, it allows you relate to it allows you to relate to the change in a in a way that is natural. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and this has changed. Getting insight around this, I, I had a little bit of the insight. Uh, years ago, and it helped a little bit, but how the tool we have that helps people with the fixed part of who they are, you know, the eat your own dog food thing. I mean, it has so changed how I think about building a team, how I think about conversing around change, because I know that in the fixed part of who people are, they're going to hear it through these four filters. And the first part is the dreamer. So even if the dreamer isn't the one sharing the change, there's going to be a dreamer who hears the change. They're, they're visionary with you. Now, if the organization's super dysfunctional or has been stuck for a long time or is in great decline, it's possible there are no dreamers. The visionaries have left the building. Uh, that does happen. So, But for most organizations, there's somebody there in the room that's hearing it. And guess what? They are activated by possibility. They are activated by opportunity. They are activated by what this could be. Um, and so if what you're doing, to use your example earlier, is systematizing something, 
that they could hear it in a negative way because they're not hearing something that's open pasture. They're hearing something that's closing in. Uh, and oftentimes dreamers are very resistant against rope procedures. They want to be more in, uh, you know, the, the open-ended consideration, creativity, and processing more than they're about something like a systemization of sales. Now, if they're a leader in sales or if they're the CEO or if they have significant C-suite responsibilities and they're a dreamer, they're all about whatever will deliver the end goal. And if systematizing sales increases revenue, they'll dream all day long with you on that. But they're going to be more activated by the potential. So you would have to talk about having a systemized approach to sales like this. When we do this, you're going to have more time to hunt some big fish, or you're going to have more uh, space for helping us on some exploratory product development, you know, whatever. So it's got to be something that captures them at the dreaming level. The next part, the fixed part, they're going to hear it as the developer. They're going to take that idea and, and multiply out the value. They're going to be able to think through it from an analytical planning standpoint. And, 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 and they might be very rigid developed planners. They may be more open-ended loose planners. I mean, there's kind of like a spectrum on this, but the bottom line is they're taking that idea and thinking, ooh, this is what could happen as we extend it, as we really apply it, as we take it to where it can go. Um, so if you're a dreamer and you sell it as a possibility, it's so pie in the sky, it doesn't have enough on the ground street reality to it. They may not even get what you're saying. I mean, we're talking like real experience here. The number of times I've sent an email as a dreamer visionary, <laughs> a teammate that can be honest is like, Chris, I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> this doesn't make sense at all. So after you've got the dreamer, the developer, then you've got the defender. And the defender is not resisting change. They're trying to preserve what was earned. Now, if they're super insecure, any of these can show up in the flexible part of who they are if they're insecure. Any of these in the fixed part can show up very dysfunctional. But we're, we're talking about somebody who at least is mostly functioning here. They may not be high thriving, but mostly functioning. They're not seeking to shut the change down. They're not trying to throw a wet blanket on the change. So, so that's why if, if the person that is bringing this change to the sales team comes from more of this guardian perspective, they're not going to, they're not going to talk about the change and really open up all the possibility and activate the dreamer because they're going to be talking about what's going to be preserved. Hey, we've taken this ground and we're not going to lose it. And so you've got to know that there are people in the fixed part of who they are hearing that conversation and they're looking for what are we doing and is it being done right? You know, they're protecting the organization. You can think about it this way. The dreamer and the developer are offensively moving out. The defender is defensively protecting in a healthy way. You need both. And the last one is the doer. They're like, just tell me what needs to get done. I want to go do it. So if you're spending a ton of time around dreaming or developing or what you're going to protect, they can lose interest. So you have to be really clear when you're talking about change and land that plane very strong and say, this is what we're doing. Um, 
if they're a part of the conversation, they can get really frustrated if the change hasn't already been thought through because they're just looking for the repeatable actions. And that's really critical for them. So, you know, we could probably spend an hour episode on each of the nine flexible parts, each of these four fixed parts, but at a high level overview, those are the filters. I think it's worth mentioning that when something's flexible, it means the leader can work on um, developing those people into alignment. On the fixed side, there isn't the chance to develop somebody into alignment. In fact, you'll be wasting your time. Mm, so, awesome. right. So the best way to get the team aligned is actually to adjust their role definitions, right? We want to make sure that we don't have doers responsible for dreaming or dreamers Bingo. responsible for doing. So the way to play, the way to play here in the short time that we have left is just to help. I think our listeners understand that by, by knowing where your team members are from a fixed or natural perspective, it gives you the chance now to um, evolve their role definitions in a way that's supportive of who they are at their core, who they are when they're operating at their strongest level. And if you do that and realign your team from a role definition perspective, from a task perspective, you actually can, just by virtue of that movement, create a much well, much better aligned team, but also a much stronger and higher potential organization. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of how many leaders I've coached that were awesome at protecting the rear, but didn't know how to advance as actively as they could, or other leaders that could actively advance and uh, couldn't protect what they were leaving behind them. And you got to have both. Yeah. Change. Great baby. topic. Great topic. So change management, we'll bring this up more as uh, we have more examples to talk about. But I think this is a great way to introduce the topic. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com. F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.